Let's do this. Let's talk about talk. Hey there. I'm your communication coach, Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. Please call me Andrea. Welcome to Talk About Talk. Talk About Talk is the communication skills podcast for lifelong learners and for folks who are seeking to get noticed and advance their careers. Does that sound like you? Well, you're in the right place. Sure, some people make communication skills look easy, but it's not easy. It takes practice and it takes know-how. Talk About Talk gives you the know-how on things like networking, storytelling, and communicating with confidence. Today, we're talking about something we can all do to help us communicate more effectively. And it's something that requires very little energy. Actually, less energy than just about anything you can imagine. And furthermore, it's free. Can you guess what it is? It's sleep. Imagine for a minute, you're in a meeting and you're in the middle of explaining something when you just can't think of the right word. Does that ever happen to you? Or you're in the middle of a conversation and you lose your thought? Wait, what was I saying again? Guess what? It might be sleep deprivation that's affecting your ability to communicate. Have you ever heard someone stumble on their words and then say, sorry, I just can't talk today. I'm exhausted. That is exactly what we're talking about here. And that's why when you have a big speech or an interview coming up, people always say, make sure you get a good night's sleep. But sometimes that advice can backfire, can't it? Have you ever noticed that those nights when sleep is the most important are also the nights when sleep can be most elusive? When you're lying in bed, staring at the clock, counting the hours until your alarm goes off? If this is resonating with you, then you are going to love this episode. And just wait till you meet our guest, biohacker Oksana Andreyuk. I met Oksana about a year ago when I was at a conference. She was on stage participating in a panel discussion about food and nutrition, and she was absolutely fabulous so knowledgeable and so energetic. So I went up to introduce myself and we really hit it off. In that first conversation with Oksana, I learned about her background in biotech. She earned an honors BSc in genetics and biotechnology and a master of biotechnology degree. And she's focused on longevity, maximizing her lifespan and health span and helping others to do the same. So that's when I asked Oksana, what's your number one tip to help us live longer? Her answer, that one word sleep. So Oksana and I plan to do a Talk About Talk podcast episode on how sleep affects communication. But then COVID happened. And I thought to myself, I need to talk to Oksana now. We need to know how we can improve our immunity. So in March 2020, I interviewed Oksana and we released an episode where you can hear her advice about six ways to boost your immunity, including, yes, sleep. And as well, as you'll hear in a few minutes in this conversation taking a cold shower. So I tried the cold shower thing and I cursed her for it. Anyway, here we are, finally talking about sleep. When I told a few of my girlfriends that I was interviewing a biohacker about sleep, they went crazy. Everyone had a story about sleepless nights, about things they've tried so they can get to sleep, and lots of questions for me to ask Oksana. So I know this topic is something people really appreciate. I hope this episode accomplishes two things for you. First, I hope it convinces you of the importance, the significance of sleep in terms of not just your communication effectiveness, but your overall well-being. And secondly, I hope you learn some new ideas for how to improve your sleep. All right, let's get into the interview now. As always, I'll briefly summarize our conversation at the end. But for this episode more than most, I suggest you check out the show notes on the talkabouttalk.com website. Of course, the show notes are always helpful. You don't need to take notes. I did that for you. 
But in this particular interview that you're about to hear, I counted, and we reference going to the show notes for more information five times. Amongst other things, these show notes include a brief summary of two things. First, why we need sleep, and second, the tactics or how we can get better sleep, as well as links to some of the research papers that Oksana references and lots more. Okay, one last thing before we get going. A reminder, I am not a medical doctor, obviously. My doctorate is in business administration, so this is not intended to be medical advice. If you're thinking of making any major lifestyle changes, you should definitely talk to your medical doctor. All right, let's do this. Oksana Andreyuk is a biotechnology scientist, biohacker, and futurist. She founded Canadian Biohacker with a mission of bringing health optimization and anti-aging science to the mainstream. She's also a strategist at Click Health, one of the top marketing and commercialization agency partners to global life sciences organizations. As I said, Oksana holds an honors BSc in genetics and biotechnology and a master of biotechnology, both from the University of Toronto. She has a long-standing interest in the applications of biotechnology to optimizing health and performance. She believes the future of healthcare lies in disease prevention, as well as delaying and even reversing the aging process, ultimately extending our health span and our lifespan. Thank you so much, Oksana, for joining us to talk about sleep. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this. It's one of my favorite topics, as you know. (laughs) I know, I know it is. And I can't wait to get into it. But before we do that, can you explain to me and the listeners just what is biohacking and what does a biohacker do? Sure, absolutely. So biohacking can generally be defined as the art and science of modifying your internal and external environments to take better control of your biology in order to optimize your health and overall performance. And so one of the exciting things and my background being more heavily on genetics and biotechnology is that we now have the tools and technology to allow us to quantify and measure to continuously optimize our own biology and our health. And so it's a really exciting time to be a biohacker because we have all those tools. When you and I first met, it was at a conference, an ensemble conference, The Future of Food, and you were on a panel there and you really impressed me. So I went up and I introduced myself and I had a great conversation with you. And I asked you, as a biohacker who's really focused on optimizing or I guess maximizing her longevity, what is your number one tip? And you said, sleep. Sleep. <laughs> you did. It's uh, yeah. Sleep is is my number one thing. Someone asked me, "What should I start doing today to you know live healthier for longer?" I always say, "Sleep. It's just fundamental for longevity, and it's been proven to be even more important than food." And the reason why I share this too is that most of us are not sleeping enough these days. You know, it's very rare that I meet someone who doesn't have trouble falling asleep or staying asleep. And two thirds of adults across all developed nations get less than eight hours of nightly sleep versus a century ago, the average person slept for two hours more than they do today, which seems kind of crazy in today's world. Like imagine averaging out you know, nine hours of sleep every day, it seems like a total luxury. But I mean, we're just not sleeping enough. Wow. So I want to get into what some of the implications are with sleep. But first, I just have to tell you this. I told some of my girlfriends that I was interviewing a biohacker about sleep and sleep hygiene and the importance of sleep, and they all freaked out. So I'm with you. I 
totally get it and generally I sleep okay but there are nights and usually it's before a big interview or a big presentation when I know I need to sleep and I can't so I can't wait to hear what you have to say about that. What is the link between sleep and longevity? So sleep is absolutely essential to just keeping our bodies functioning properly. Interestingly, humans are the only mammals who voluntarily deprive themselves of sleep. <gasps> and it's, you know, because we want to scroll through social media and there are other things we want to be doing. And we seem to just be willing to sacrifice on our sleep. But there's a reason why sleep happens. And there are so many benefits to sleep, to keeping our bodies functioning properly. There's not one bodily system that isn't negatively impacted by a lack of sleep and isn't positively impacted by quality sleep. So sleep is important for emotional control and stress resilience, which I'm sure we'll get into when we you know, talk about how sleep affects communication, but also hormonal regulation, our immune system, appetite control. You know, they've now recently published a study that can essentially predict the onset of Alzheimer's disease in a person simply based on their quality of sleep. Wow. Um, and the impairments that we see in people who are undersleeping can be seen as similar to that of people who smoke or have diabetes or have coronary artery disease. So Chronic sleep deprivation has very ser serious implications and is linked to various chronic conditions. And so that's why it's the number one thing, you know, because it's, it's free and we can just start doing that today. And it has so many amazing benefits on helping our bodies to function properly and regenerate. Okay, I have to say, based on that, I could just end the interview right now. And I'm just joking. But, <laughs> but I mean, you have me convinced. It's like a domino effect, right? You said it, exactly. it's linked to Alzheimer's and hormones and weight and stress and, mm -hmm. and our immunity. And we could go on and on and on. I want to let the listeners know that I'll get the links to some of the research papers that you're talking about and put them in the show notes if they're interested okay. in reading them themselves. But before we move on to communication... Can you explain what is happening to our bodies physically when we sleep? Why is it so important? Like what's going on? Essentially, while we're sleeping, that is the time for our bodies to regenerate. And a lot of that happens during deep sleep. And then REM sleep is important for linking new ideas and information and making memories. But sleep helps with regulating our hormones and ensuring that our brain is functioning properly and clearing out damage. If you know we're talking about the brain, for example, while we sleep, some of our brain cells shrink by up to 60%. And what happens in that time is that the spinal fluid acts like a detergent to wash away any cellular waste and debris from between those cells. And if this doesn't happen, this can lead to accumulation of that damage and formation of beta amyloid plaques, which are implicated in Alzheimer's disease. And so there are just so many things that happen while we're sleeping that once you realize that and think about all the benefits, it's hard to continue depriving yourself of sleep, just knowing how beneficial it is to your overall health and well-being from yeah. top to bottom. Yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, I've heard before that all of our body systems are integrated. And I have to say, mm -hmm. I love your detergent metaphor. That is fantastic. <laughs> like sleep is washing away all the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I want to get now into the link or the relationship between sleep and communication effectiveness. 
I mentioned this before that the night before I'm doing an interview or if I'm giving a presentation or speaking at a conference or whatever, I, I think to myself, it's really important to get a good night's sleep. Why is it specifically important to get a good night's sleep in terms of our communication? So sleep is critical to a number of brain functions affecting communication. I'd say if we put them in three categories, there's memory and learning ability. So during sleep, your brain forms connections that can help you process and remember new information. So lack of sleep can negatively impact both short and long-term memory. Then there's cognition and problem solving. So if we're underslept, our thinking and concentration are affected. You know, we're not as able to concentrate on a task or solve a problem. So critical thinking is not as up to par <laughs> as if we, when we do get a good night's sleep. And then lastly, and this is, I think, an even bigger piece as it relates to communication is your mood and social intelligence and persuasiveness are affected as well by a lack of sleep or sleep deprivation. So it can make you moody, emotional, quick tempered, and then chronic sleep deprivation is implicated in mental health disorders like anxiety and depression. Sleep disruption actually contributes to all major psychiatric conditions. And that of course includes depression, anxiety, and even suicidability. And so the reason why that happens, if we want to get into that, is sleep deprivation actually acts to shut down the communication in your brain between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala. So the amygdala is our fight or flight response. So if we're not getting enough sleep, that fight or flight response is heightened. And then the prefrontal cortex is responsible for acting as our social or emotional filter, which allows us to, you know, just filter our reactions and emotions. And, and so that's where social intelligence can be affected. And then as well, sleep deprivation actually lowers our desire for social proximity and social interaction. So if we're sleep deprived, we don't want to be around other people. We don't really want to interact socially. So it's both our emotional intelligence that is affected and we actually become worse at even understanding the intents of other people and kind of reading the room, reading the audience. And then we don't even want to be around other people as much as well. So it's almost like we self-isolate um, subconsciously when we're sleep deprived. And what's more is that others are able to tell when we're sleep deprived. So there's been studies done where people were shown images of other individuals and it turns out that a person is actually more likely to appear as a lonely person to others when they're sleep deprived and so other people are just then biologically wired to not want to engage or interact with you when you're sleep deprived because our brains are actually capable of registering when the other person is sleep deprived and it makes us perceive those people as less attractive to engage with so all in all essentially sleep deprivation makes us feel lonely and lowers our emotional intelligence, but also makes us less desirable for others to want to socialize with. That's just a total communication killer, if you think about it. Wow. So I love the list that you that you provided. So I got short-term and long-term memory, learning, premonition, critical thinking, mood, social intelligence, yes. and on and on. This is compelling. This is very, very compelling. I'm thinking about when I was a young faculty member in particular at business school and teaching cases where, you know, it, it, it wasn't scripted. I wasn't lecturing. I was having a discussion with the students and I had to be on. 
Oh yeah. And my sleep the night before absolutely affected how effective I was in leading that discussion. So, mm-hmm. and you know, at least for women, you know, we can kind of fake it a little bit, put some mascara on, <laughs> make ourselves blush on, make ourselves look more alive. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's fascinating how this is happening subconsciously at a biological level that our brains can just tell when someone didn't get enough sleep. So when we know that we want to get a great night's sleep, it's really important. You know, I feel like sometimes that can backfire, right? Because all of a sudden you feel this little bit of anxiety or pressure Mm -hmm. to sleep. Let's move into sleep hygiene. How Mm -hmm. can we increase our odds that we're going to get a good night's sleep? So one of the things to think about with that is, you know, if you're already a little bit stressed or have some anxiety about what's going to be happening the next day, you don't want to also be stressing about the fact that you don't have enough time to sleep. So there are three metrics if we think about it. There's the sleep opportunity, which is the total amount of time a person spends in bed. So it's like your opportunity to log in those sleep hours. And then there's sleep duration, which is your total amount of time that you're spending asleep. And then there's sleep efficiency. So it's the percentage of time you're asleep relative to the amount of time that you're spending in bed. Wow. So I I mean, I previously thought about it just in more simplistic terms. It was quality (laughs) and quantity, but you're breaking it down into opportunity, duration, and efficiency. efficiency. I love that. If you're in bed for 10 hours, which is your sleep opportunity, and you sleep a total of eight hours, which is your sleep duration, then you would have an 80% sleep efficiency. And I think that's an important thing to consider is, you know, when we think about, oh, I want to get eight hours of sleep. And then we go to bed giving ourselves literally eight hours from (laughs) when we need to wake up. And that can create a little bit of stress as well, right? Um, Especially if you don't fall asleep right away. And then you're lying awake thinking, okay, great. Now I only have six hours to sleep. Now I have five hours to sleep and on and on. That can definitely create a stressor. So one of the things to do is just give yourself more time in bed. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Just talking to my kids, sometimes they say, oh, you know, I went to bed at 10, but I didn't get to sleep till after midnight, mom, and it, and it kind of stresses them out. So mm. I think reminding them that sleep opportunity is kind of the first step to quality sleep, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We can talk about sleep hygiene as well. I'd love to hear what are the do's and the don'ts? We've heard, you know, I mean, there's some common advice out there about minimizing the amount of blue light or screens that you see immediately before you go to sleep. But maybe you can share with me and the listeners just some of your top hacks that you personally do and, and recommend to others Starting with the blue light, which you've mentioned, um, that's an important one because our body clock or circadian rhythm is governed largely by light and the signal that your body gets around what time of day it is even. And so with us spending so much time under an artificial light, we often don't get bright enough light during the day to suppress melatonin production. And so we may feel a little bit groggy throughout the day. And then more importantly, at in the evening when our body should be winding down down, we should be boosting that melatonin production. We're surrounded by so much artificial light in the evening that our body doesn't get the signal that, okay, it's time to wind down. It's time to get sleepy and prepare for bedtime. So blocking blue light in the evening is very important 
I mean, I myself noticed that I would feel so much sleepier when I wear my blue light blocking glasses versus when I don't. So do you wear them, uh, you know, starting after dinner? The longer, the better in the evening. I would say three hours before bedtime is ideal. But even an hour before bedtime will still make a difference. Hmm. Uh, So in terms of food, I would try to avoid a large meal again around three hours before bedtime because you don't want to have your body digesting food and being busy with that when you really should be relaxing and taking the time to undergo that full body regeneration while you're sleeping. Yeah, I've heard um, that. And it can affect deep sleep as well. Right. Um, and then exercise as well, you know, and it's different for everyone. So it's something to experiment with, but um, the standard is kind of to avoid excessive exercise around three hours before bedtime as well, because you just don't want your adrenaline pumping when you're trying to wind down and go to sleep. That said, though, lifting weights or doing strength training exercise around 6 p.m. has been shown to actually boost deep sleep throughout the night. Yep. So it's kind of like, you know, expending all that built up energy or tension or <laughs> frustration from the day. Just let it go. Do your strength training, lift some weights around 6 p.m and it can actually boost your deep sleep that same night. Yeah. And I mean, I know a lot of people try to, you know, wake up early and get their workout in for the day and, that's all right. I mean, you can't be too regimented with all of these things where you're you're starting to stress out about it. (laughs) So you can only work out in the morning versus 6pm that's still getting that exercise. But it's just a fun little tidbit, you know, (laughs) to boost deep sleep even more. Um, Doing that, uh, doing strength training around 6pm or evening time is seems to be effective. And then the last bit is around the environment and creating the right kind of environment to relax. So one of the things um, I had to do personally was turn down my thermostat. Um, I used to keep my place at like tropical weather temperatures. I just wanted to walk around in a t-shirt and shorts and feel like it's summertime all year round, (laughs) despite the snow outside most of the year. And that's not good for sleep. So ideally we should be sleeping in around like 19 to 21 degrees, 22 degrees sometimes. So I've actually lowered my thermostat down, um, but it took some time. You know, it's not like an overnight. If, if you're used to warm temperatures in the house, you're going to be too cold. It's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. So I kind of built myself up and gradually would go, you know, down half a degree, a degree here and there. So as you're going through all of these tips, whether it's light or food or exercise or environment, I'm thinking to myself, These are all great things to incorporate in our lives every day. Why not? They're relatively easy to adopt. You won't necessarily do all of those things every day. Mm -hmm. But back to the original question about when you have a big meeting or a job interview or a big presentation, this could become your checklist. Like just make sure that these are the things that you do. Mm -hmm. Everyone deals with stress differently, right? But um, it's more sleep opportunity time. So you're not stressing over that working in some meditation time if if you can and again you know everyone has different situations and lifestyles even if it's a guided meditation in your headphones that can work i found that if i meditate for 30 minutes before sleep it really does boost my deep sleep actually so and then you're also just already in that mental headspace of feeling more relaxed and then as you mentioned just keeping up that sleep hygiene of creating that environment you know removing light from the bedrooms um, because our eyes can actually register light even with our eyes closed you know you may not wake up but 
your eyes are still registering that light and it can disrupt your sleep in the sense that you may not be spending as much time in deep sleep. Another good technique is like writing down your anxious thoughts, you know, (laughs) just do some journaling, getting them down on paper, whatever works for you to kind of de-stress and relax. There are so many different apps that can help with that too, you know, Headspace, Calm, or different journaling apps. Okay, I will leave links to some of those apps in the show notes. And I, I think the journaling thing is really interesting. I've been journaling in the morning, but you know what? Maybe I should be journaling in the evening because then I'm not on a screen, right? Yeah. So reducing screen time is a big one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a double whammy. If you journal in the evening, you're not, you're not watching the screen. I love that <laughs> idea. Thank you for that. Before we go any further, I just need to clarify. You said eight hours at the beginning, but how many hours are adults supposed to be getting? Is it seven, eight? I've heard nine. I've heard a range of seven to nine. And are we talking actually the duration of sleep or is it time in bed? And does napping count? Mm, yeah, so good question. I yeah. mean, the U.S. National Sleep Foundation recommends seven to nine hours of sleep for healthy adults, and that's ages 18 to 65. Okay. Um, and then the Harvard Medical School actually says that sleeping fewer than about eight hours per night on a regular basis seems to increase the risk of developing a number of medical conditions. So they're essentially coming out and saying that if you're sleeping for fewer than eight on a consistent basis, then that can lead to health disruptions. So I would say eight hours is probably ideal. And is that um, duration? So time asleep. So we need to be in bed for more than eight hours then? Exactly. What about napping? It's an interesting one because, you know, if you had a bad night of sleep, then you may need to have that power nap during the day just to boost your energy. So about 30 minutes can be a good energy boost. But if you're consistently feeling like you need a nap, then you're not sleeping enough at night, right? Okay, so now I want to move into what we should do if it's the middle of the night and we can't sleep. Our mind is spinning with stressors and feeling anxious and we just can't sleep. And maybe starting with, should we stay in bed or should we get up? Yeah, so I've heard different things on this one. I mean, I think it, it comes down to what works for the individual. I've heard the getting up and getting out of bed. For me personally, that doesn't really make much of a difference. But, you know, there are different things that you could do. I mean, even the most extreme example of what you can do if you wake up and can go back to sleep is taking a cold shower, actually. <laughs> it seems very <laughs> counterintuitive because you figure, oh, you know, that's just going to jolt me awake. But Oksana, I just have to say, you and your cold showers well after i interviewed you the first time i tried the cold shower thing and you just about killed me (laughs) i know it's a pretty extreme example but i actually tried this myself before when i was trying to battle um, my insomnia about two years ago and i was trying all the things and there was a night where i actually forced myself to get out of bed and get in the shower and take a cold shower and it was not pleasant but it worked it really made me feel sleepy because it cools down your core body temperature which needs to happen in order to get into those deep sleep states yeah you know what it makes sense actually because then when you climb back into bed you just want to cuddle with your comforter mm-hmm. and you know get all exactly. cozy and then sleep right yeah That's an interesting one so you know what i usually do when i can't sleep which doesn't happen very often but when it does I I do just like a personal meditation where I do a body scan. I start at the top of my head and I go down to the tip of my toes, relaxing every body part. And I kind of, I tell myself sometimes if I'm still awake, when I get down to the tip of my toes, I say, well, at least my body's fully, 
fully relaxed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it definitely helps. And um, I'm a big proponent of, of that too. And binaural beats is another one where you're using brain entrainment to get yourself down into those delta and theta relaxed brain waves yeah. um, and ease yourself back into sleep that can really help. And there are so many free apps. There's so much great content for sleep and binaural beats where you do have to listen with earphones because essentially the way it works is projecting a different sound frequency in each ear, which is why it's called binaural. And what you hear is the difference between those frequencies. So it's very interesting because it's you know fooling your brain into emitting those more relaxed brain waves. Very cool. Very cool. So I, again, I'm going to put some links to that in the show notes. I have a feeling these show notes are going to be highly accessed. <laughs> One more question before we move on to the five rapid fire questions. And that is, what's your take on melatonin or other supplements to help us when we're desperately in need of sleep? Mm-hmm. Melatonin is can be used, you know, to boost sleep or help ease ourselves into sleep, especially if we have a night where we have to stay up on the computer. I mean, I would recommend using a red screen or installing an app on your devices that turns your screen red so that at least you're not getting that blue light if you have to be on doing screen time. Um, But melatonin here and there, I mean, I haven't seen any studies saying that it's bad for you. Of course, with any supplement, you know, it's not recommended to use, you know, chronically for a prolonged amount of time. But I think as like a rescue (laughs) supplement, I use it myself. But there are other supplements as well to consider. So magnesium is a great one. Okay. Um, a lot of people are, are low in magnesium overall, but magnesium bisglycinate is a form that can help with sleep or help promote relaxation. Um, there are even magnesium sprays you can buy that you kind of like rub on your arms or legs to, <laughs> and to get the magnesium that way or like creams even. So I have the spray myself too. And then L-theanine is a supplement that helps promote alpha brain waves. So it's a more relaxed state than beta brainwave. So if you're in that anxious state, that can be a great supplement to try as well. And then if someone is experienced struggling with insomnia, 5-HTP and GABA stacked together. There was a randomized controls trial done with with insomnia and that specific stack helps boost sleep as well. So that's one that I've used as my own personal like anti-insomnia rescue um, supplement stack. So 5-HTP and GABA. And then others like valerian root has been great for promoting relaxation. There are so many different sleep supplements out there. It's a lot of times finding what works for you. Passion flower is another one. Okay. So yeah, it's just kind of playing playing around and uh, seeing what, what helps. Well, um, as you're going through this list, some of them I haven't even heard of, and I don't, I certainly don't know how to spell them. So I'm going to have to get that from you. And I can, again, imagine that the listeners um, are going to want to go (laughs) to the show notes. And and it's, it's almost like a checklist that we've created here of all the various things that we can do in terms of light, in terms of our environment, in terms of nutrition, in terms of exercise, in terms of supplements, in terms of timing all of these things appropriately during our day and in the evening before we go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So this is amazing. And But the other bonus here is that I am more motivated now to get sleep than I was before. So I just want to say thank you, Oksana, for that. That's, it's, it's oh, so I'm cool. so glad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Sleep is so good. <laughs> we should all be getting more sleep when yeah. we can. And it's yeah, free. That's the best part. <laughs> we don't it's, free. it's free. I didn't hear you say that before. It's free. <laughs> I, I get now why sleep is your number one thing. Let's move on then to the five rapid fire questions that I ask every guest. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay, question number one. What are your pet peeves? Oh, I don't know if it's like a pet peeve. But I feel like, especially if I'm, if I'm listening to recording, um, slow talkers for me. <laughs> I feel like I'm a slow talker, but <laughs> for me personally, I'm like, oh, can people just spit it out, you know? <laughs> so you, when you listen to podcasts and audiobooks, you turn the, turn the speed? Oh yeah, I listen to them at like two times the speed. So Do you? <laughs> yeah. The fastest I've ever, so I think it depends on who's, who's speaking or reading, right? So the fastest I've ever done, I think is 1.7 and that was crazy fast, but I really wanted to get through a book when I was driving. So oh, you were on a mission, woman on a mission. Yeah. Question number two, what type of learner are you? Um, I would say visual and, but maybe it's kinesthetic. I know for sure I'm not an auditory learner because if I'm listening to a podcast, like I'm always writing notes for myself and that helps me. Even if I never read those notes again after, it just helps me remember the information. Mm -hmm. Question number three, introvert or extrovert? Um, I would say I'm a social introvert. <laughs> Definitely introverted in the sense that that's where I got how I re-energize, but I love to socialize, so <laughs> there's that double whammy. <laughs> yeah, okay, question number four, communication preference for personal conversations. Um, iMessage, WhatsApp, um, I feel like a lot of my conversations happen on um, Instagram DMs as well, even with close friends. It's, everyone's on Instagram, so <laughs> yeah. if you're there already, you know, you can respond. <laughs> yeah, okay, and last question. Is there a podcast, a blog, or an email newsletter that you find yourself recommending the most lately? I feel like I always recommend The Drive by Dr. Peter Atia. It's one of my favorite podcasts just because the quality of information and research and how he breaks everything down. It's a great podcast, but also the newsletters too. I really enjoy it. Someone's interested in diving into biohacking and optimizing health and longevity. There's a lot of great doctors on this podcast. Great. It's almost it's like you're getting a free doctor consult every time you listen. It's just full of information. Oh, I'm definitely going to check it out. And again, I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. And that's it. I want to say, Oksana, thank you so, so much for not only sharing with us how to sleep, but why to sleep. Yes, yeah, so I'm so happy that you had me on this podcast and yeah. this was so much fun. Thank you for letting me share my number one longevity hack um, and I hope everyone is able to sleep better and sleep longer. Me too. Thank you so much, Oksana. Thanks, Andrea. Isn't Oksana great? So knowledgeable and helpful. I learned a lot from that conversation. Like, for example, the fact that sleep is even more important than food in terms of affecting longevity. And the fact that we humans are the only species that voluntarily deprive ourselves of sleep. Oof. Then there's sleep metrics. Here I was thinking about sleep quantity and sleep quality. Oksana talks about different sleep metrics, though. She talks about sleep opportunity, the total amount of time we spend in bed, sleep duration, the time we're asleep, and sleep efficiency, the percentage of time we're sleeping relative to the amount of time we're in bed. So here's the first piece of advice for getting more sleep. Start by increasing your sleep opportunity. You need to be in bed for more than eight hours to get eight hours of sleep. And here's the bonus. It's less stressful. 
If you have something coming up the next day and you know you need to get a good night's sleep, focus first on sleep opportunity. Then you won't feel anxious or stressed about not falling asleep right away. Great point. Okay, now I'm going to summarize all the reasons why sleep is so important. The first thing you need to know is that every single one of our bodily systems is impacted by sleep. For example, sleep helps with hormonal regulation, immunity, appetite control, emotional control, and resilience and stress management. I could just stop there, right? But REM sleep is also important for linking new ideas and information and making memories. And I loved Oksana's detergent metaphor. She said that while we sleep, our spinal fluid acts like a detergent to wash away any cellular waste and debris from between those cells. And if this doesn't happen, this can lead to the accumulation of that damage and formation of plaques, which are implicated in Alzheimer's disease. In terms of communication specifically, sleep is critical to a number of brain functions affecting our ability to communicate effectively. Specifically, we can think of three categories. There's memory and learning and sociability. So first, while we sleep, our brains form connections that help us process and remember new information. On the other hand, lack of sleep can negatively impact both short and long-term memory. This obviously can affect our communication. So that's memory. Then there's learning. Sleep deprivation affects our learning and thinking in terms of our ability to concentrate, our problem solving, and our capacity for critical thinking. And then there's sociability. Have you ever wondered why you're feeling so down, so grumpy, maybe moody or emotional? And then you think, aha, I need sleep. People, this is serious. We need to get more sleep. Chronic sleep deprivation is implicated in serious mental health disorders like anxiety and depression. So there's mood and mental health, but there's more. In terms of sociability, sleep affects our brain's ability for self-control, like reactions and emotions, and for social intelligence. Sleep deprivation actually lowers our desire for social proximity and social interaction. In other words, when we're sleep deprived, we don't want to be around other people and they don't want to be around us. As Oksana says, sleep deprivation is just a total communication killer. I'm guessing you don't need any more convincing. Sleep is critical. So how do we get more sleep? Here are six things you can do. Six sleep tactics to help you get more sleep. First, control your environment, specifically light and temperature. You've probably heard that your body clock or circadian rhythm is largely affected by light. It makes sense. Your bedroom needs to be as dark as possible. Your eyes can actually register light, even with your eyes closed. A few other things you can do starting late afternoon or early evening to help your brain get the message that it's time to sleep include wearing blue light blocking glasses and or using a red screen or installing an app on your devices to block the blue light. While you're at it, early in the evening, Turn down your thermostat. You'll sleep better if the temperature's lower. Okay, so that's the first sleep tactic. Control your environment. The second sleep tactic, diet and nutrition. This one's easy. Obviously, no caffeine before bedtime. And secondly, avoid large meals three hours before bedtime. The third sleep tactic, exercise. Okay, this is an interesting one. Some say that avoiding excessive exercise around three hours before bedtime will help you wind down. But then... There's also research showing that strength training exercise around 6 p.m. can boost your deep sleep. So the advice here is to experiment and see what works for you. The fourth sleep tactic, supplements. Oksana highlighted several supplements that might help you get a better night's sleep. 
Of course, there's melatonin, but then also many others that I haven't even heard of. You can find the full list of all these supplements in the show notes at talkabouttalk.com. Oxana reminded us not to take supplements chronically, not for long periods. They're called supplements, right? And she actually used the term rescue supplements, which is a great way to think about it. The fifth tactic to improve your sleep, calm your mind. There's lots of advice here, starting with meditation. Personally, when I can't sleep, I do a body scan with slow, deep breathing, starting at the top of my head and focusing on every part of my body, slowly moving down to my feet. You can also try meditating on your own or with a guided meditation app like Headspace or Calm through your headphones. And speaking of headphones, Oxana talked about binaural beats, which I hadn't heard of. Basically, you listen to sound waves with your headphones, which are projecting different sound frequencies in each ear, relaxing your brain waves. That is pretty cool. We also talked about calming your mind by journaling in the evening, which has two benefits, assuming you're journaling with a pen and paper and not typing into a device. First, you're calming your brain by writing down your thoughts. And second, you're not on screens. The last tactic to help you with sleep, take a cold shower. For the record, this is the second of two times that I've interviewed Oksana when she mentioned cold showers as being beneficial. So yes, I looked it up. That's what I do. And she was right. There's plenty of research showing the benefits of cold showers. Yes, I tried it. And yes, it is painful. I'd have to be pretty desperate to get up in the middle of the night and take a cold shower. But then again, it does make sense, doesn't it? If you cool down your core body temperature, then all you want to do is climb into bed and cuddle up with your warm blankets. If you get desperate enough to try this cold shower thing, please tell me how it goes. And regardless of whether you resort to taking a cold shower, I sincerely hope this episode helps you sleep better. Thanks again to Oksana. You can find all her contact information in the show notes, and she's got some great posts on Instagram. Okay, one last thing before I let you go to sleep. If you're not signed up for the Talk About Talk Communication Skills newsletter, please do. This is your chance to get free communication skills coaching from me every week in a simple to digest email. I promise no spam, and never more than once per week. Just go to talkabouttalk.com to sign up or email me directly and I'll add you to the list. You can email me anytime at andrea at talkabouttalk.com. Thanks for listening. Happy sleeping and talk soon.